HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. And did you ever wonder if there were a place you could go and live and perhaps live forever? It was so beautiful, and the food was delicious, and life was easy. A step back in time. I think I found the place for you. The place is called Ikaria, and it's a little rugged island, not well, not so little, off the coast, actually smack dab in the middle of the Aegean Sea, a stone's throw from Turkey and just off the coast of Greece, and it is a Greek island. And there have been articles written about it, and now there's a cookbook written about it, because it's a place where people, they say, forget to die. Is it their diet? Is it the water? Is it the air? I think it's probably a little bit of everything, and we're going to hear specifically on what it's about from my guest today, Diane Kuchilis. Diane is a chef and a host of Greek's most popular TV cooking show. She's a cookbook author of about 20 books. Okay. And she is indeed a, a ex, an expert on Greek cuisine. Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you. And you just flew in. You're just, you're just bouncing I, all around the world here. I literally just flew in. Just flew <laughs> in. Well, I'm so glad that, that we were your first stop. Um, you know, through this, all of your books, you've always managed to communicate a sense of place with the food, uh, and and I've and I I always get hungry just looking at the at the recipes and and the covers of your books, and this one in particular, you really capture the people and their life and. Tell me a little bit about this place. You actually have a, quite a connection to this place. I, I do. It's my. Uh, it's the place where my father was born and my maternal grandfather. And uh, I've been going there since I was a kid. It, when I first went there in 1972, it was really off the beaten track. Um, it was a you know, 17-hour ferry ride. 
there were barely any roads. Electricity had just come to the island. It was really far away. Um, I, I go back every summer. I've been going there since 1972 in the summers. Uh, we run a cooking school on the island uh, out of our home. And it is, it's, it's just a magical place. I mean, it's some place where, as a good friend of mine, very actually high-powered New York lawyer who came to visit us a couple of years ago said, you know, I stepped off the boat and the, the honey of, of indolence has just you know, <laughs> kept me in this garden not wanting to do anything. And he was very content. And that kind of sums it up. I mean, it's a very laid-back place. And something intoxicating about the whole... As he said, the honey of indolence. I mean, something intoxicating about uh, about the whole ambiance of being there. Right? There's something that draws me there for sure, and I and and certainly draws other people to the island. Um, even after a first experience on Icaria, where nothing really runs by the clock. I think that's part of the magic. Um, you, it's very hard for an American maybe to, to even conceive of that, but it's it really is what what creates this sense of of almost serendipity in every interaction yeah there's always room for something maybe something else to happen (laughs) (laughs) or you and you just um actually answered my question and corrected me it's ikaria it's ikaria ikaria okay um yeah you say um you say often in the book that it's people don't wear watches they don't they pay no attention to time that they sort of, you know, they know when it's time to nap, when it's time to eat and they do nap a lot, right? They do nap. Yeah. And we're talking about people, well, at least let's, let's step back a little bit. It, I, when I looked into the island a little more and was reading about it, I realized this is not exactly that hospitable a place when you first look, especially if you looked at it a hundred years ago. I mean, craggy stone and and rocky. The soil is not that rich. It reminded me of some place else that I've spent a lot of time, which is Sardinia. And then I started to read, and you talk about Icaria being one of in the blue the blue zone, right? Like Sardinia. What is so? Tell us what the blue zone is. Well, the blue zones are. It was. A, it's a term that was coined by. Um, it was actually trademarked by Dan Butner, but coined by a demographer who literally studied longevity patterns around the world and circled areas around the planet in a blue pencil. <laughs> so those and, were the blue yeah, zones. Yeah, those were the blue zones. He happened Complete, to be holding yeah. a blue pencil. Yeah, completely arbitrary. Yeah. Um, and f- to date, there there are, I think, five. It's Icaria, Sardinia, uh, Okinawa, Costa Rica, and uh, Yorba Linda in California. Oh, the Seventh Day Adventist. Yes, yes. Community, right? Yeah. And I think soon to be Calabria might be another upcoming mm-hmm. um, blue zone. And these are just these are places where the longevity rates are are statistic are almost a statistical anomaly. They're inordinately high. I think. And when we say how we're talking nine, we're talking ninety, ninety-five, and right, more. and more, right. and more. I mean, I, I in Icaria, I think there's the one difference is that people who who are that age now, and I've talked to people who are over a hundred, you know, went to the last few birthday parties of a woman who last year turned a hundred and three or a hundred and four, um, and I think the one. One thing that sets apart Icarians who are who are that old is that they're very much alive and active and part of a community, and many still get around or live on their own. Uh, this woman who's 104 was is a weaver, 
still weaves. She's at her loom every day. So I think that there's a, you know, a sense of being active and, and at that age that is really unique. Interesting. Um, and, I, you know, I wonder, too, you, you talk about um, oh, the fact that they that in doing or, or someone who wrote a couple articles, there was an article in the Times, New York Times uh, a couple of years ago about it, too, that they do they nap regularly. They do I mean, nap regularly. Um, well, they probably uh, get up with the sun. Right? Um, it depends. I'm from an, I'm from a part of the I'm from the northwestern part of the island. And that's the part of the island that's very famous all over Greece as the place where uh you know, people sort of live at night, and in the daytime, it's quite quiet. It's a really odd place because oh, it's hot. It's hot. Yeah, it's not hot in the winter. It's just it was Ikaria is is near a group of islands that were a pirate stronghold in the Aegean, so they always had to be, be very aware of that threat. So life on the island evolved inland, and especially camouflaged in places that were camouflaged from the uh, not not visible from, from the, the coast. sea. Yeah. Um, and that it, it just spawned a way of life where people had to move around at night, and that kind of remained. Hmm, interesting. Um, it's a really it's an interesting yeah. place. Again, reminding me a lot of Sardinia, and also, and by the same token, it was a place. And you mentioned in your book even that from the Byzantine era through like the sixties. The undesirables were exiled there. The right. banditos, the, or whomever. No, not the banditos. The political undesirables. Political undesirables, yeah. and, and we have a lot. I mean, I'm sure a lot of other undesirables too. But, you know, who could hide there? They knew they could hide there in some of those craggy. I'm sorry. You know, a lot of people probably realized they could hide there too. Right? Why not? Well, I think it was it it was more a place of political exile, and that again because Ikaria has always been very isolated. Those people influenced, I think, the local mindset. It's Ikari is a very, uh, in some ways, a very progressive place as a result. It's people have, have always been, had to make do on their own. Uh, there's always been a, a strong sense of solidarity. There was a barter system that actually still exists in, in many ways. Um, it was a place that was, for one year, in fact, between 1912 and 1913, it was an independent state. <laughs> there are even stamps that you know, say it was the state of Icaria, or the country of Icaria. Um, but people, I think people just developed this sense of, of fierce independence and, and embraced a lot of the... Uh, you know the mindset of the political oh. uh, unwanted. So they didn't need big government because they were used right. to surviving on their own. Yeah. Um, th- well, let's talk about the food. You and everyone else who writes about the island agrees that that there, aside from the air and the water, <laughs> there must be something about their diet that is very telling in in what's causing them to live so long. So describe to me, you know, like in general first, and then we're going to get into it, um, a little bit about their diet and what and and well, what the, it's all about. Their diet is the it's it's the Mediterranean diet of fifty years ago. Basically, mm-hmm. it's completely reliant on very fresh seasonal food. Most of it is completely local, uh, with with a few exceptions, but. Most people are are subsistence farmers. They have their own food. They grow their own food. They have their own animals. They make their own wine. They make their own, uh, you know, grape distillates. Uh, Very, very independent and very much, uh, you know, they're very in tune to eating with the seasons. So, for example, now it's wintertime. People are out uh, mushrooming. That's a great uh, sport on the island. And it's a very rich 
um, place for mushrooms. It's it's actually not so barren, Igaria. It's very green. It's heavily forested. Mm. Uh, the south side of the island is more barren, but the north side is, has it's all pine forest. So there's a lot of vegetation, and mushrooms are a big part of the diet and very healthy. Have a lot of the same um, th- uh, nutritional attributes that meat that red meat has. Right. A lot of pro- surprising amount of protein. Yes, a surprising yeah. amount of protein. And another, I think, really important part of the diet, and still something that people uh, uh, do, um, is they they forage for greens. That's also around. The, you know, this is greens grow in, in wild in Greece in, when it rains. So. There are a few greens that grow in the summertime when the country is still, you know, quite dry. But for the most part, the season is from October till May. Mm. And on Icaria, there are maybe, I don't know, 150 different types of wild edible greens. Then there's this whole um, spectrum of wild herbs that that people use not only in cooking, but that form a kind of uh, folk medicine, folk pharmacopoeia. And people still use those things. I mean, I, you know, I, there are all sorts of remedies that just come from going out and picking something. Right. Oh, you have a ton, you know, stomach ache today, dr- drink oregano. You have a chest cold, have some sage. Yeah, I love how you say you know, medicine in a teapot. Yeah, <laughs> medicine in a teapot. <laughs> yeah, so they do make interesting teas, a lot of interesting brews. And, and use the plants. I was reading um, your description of the mallow and, the, yes. and how it's used for so many different things. Interesting. Uh, you... Th- there on the island, um, of course, it was a very poor island, you know, a couple generations back. And um, so there wasn't really a lot of food to be had, or at least not available to them, you know, production, producing-wise. They had to, to make their own food. Um, so much like a lot of areas in Greece, it was that they weren't eating, they weren't overeating. They weren't eating too much. Maybe that help too. Yes, that helped a lot. That was something that I encountered when I talked to people who were over 85 and remembered their diets from, you know, from especially from before the war but also during the during the, during the occupation. The war, imagine, yeah. Um they were really not eating very much. The caloric intake was was low and you know, animal protein was very very rare. Um and you know that's that's changed. It would be interesting to see what the longevity statistics are going to be for our generation. That's what right? I was going to ask. Right? <laughs> you know, now that we've given them all our bad influences, but, and you know. <laughs> but you know, just getting back to the food for a minute, the food is actually quite simple, and it's it's easy enough for many people to you know replicate even in an American kitchen. Uh, I've done a number, probably more dishes than than I've actually admitted to, um, even on the rest of the menu at Molivos, where I'm the collaborator. Right, and chef. I forgot to mention that in the beginning. Thank you for mentioning. So, uh, here in you know, New York City, a wonderful here in New Greek York City, there are, yeah. we've got uh, we've got the a beautiful greens, little greens pies on the menu that are tremendously popular. Um, a salad that is a combination of arugula and uh, sweet potato, which that's another I think oddity about the diet on Icaria, the importance of potatoes and sweet potatoes, um, which have become maligned in in a, the American right, diet, right? right? Bad carbs, right? Bad carbs, yeah. <laughs> but it's everything is you know it has to be taken in 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 a certain context. Yeah, as you say, for but your own, nothing nothing too extreme. Everything, nothing too extreme. Julia yeah. Child's favorite line too: everything in moderation. Everything right? in moderation, yeah, right? Um, you you do say that indeed there. Um, there's meat, but not a lot of, and still not a lot of meat. Right? No, and the diet. main the main meat is goat's meat mm-hmm. um, and pork, which is eaten traditionally in the winter time. 
It's uh, usually around this time of the year. People, most families have animals, so they'll slaughter the family a pig, right? pig right. and eat that meat. That will that will feed. Me. I mean, again, today is a little bit different because it's still you know now modern life has has encroached on the island, but um, th- that's still a tradition. So there's this huge party around around this event, and the meat is shared with uh, in an extended family, um, and it lasts traditionally over you know almost the entire year with the exception of the fasting period so again little bits of animal protein there and we're talking be- nose to tail also right? totally nose to tail yeah. totally uh, yeah. interesting um you talk about a lot of things that are specific to the island and to their diet goats um you said goat meat but also goat's milk right? goat's milk is very important yeah Hmm. And uh, that's something that I've seen. We we run the classes in the summertime, and most of our um, guests are Americans. In the last few years, you know, I'm sure you've noticed this too. The, the you know the the garden variety of food related issues has grown, um, you know, tremendously. Back and to foraging, we're all yeah. foraging. <laughs> And we've had several people who are lactose, lactose intolerant, but when the goat's milk and the goat's milk cheeses doesn't seem to be any, a problem. Interesting. Um, it's a very, it's a much healthier dairy product. And how about, and how about the phyllo dough for those who are gluten intolerant? <laughs> well, I mean, aside from animal, yeah, we celiac have a disease. few pies that have cornmeal on top, mm. and I, I, I'm pretty accommodating. I, it's interesting for me too to do that, to create recipes that can. You know, I mean, we want everyone. We're Greeks. We like to feed people, so <laughs> you know, we want everyone to eat everything. And if I have to make a, a, a slight variation, that's okay. Well, a couple of things that you mentioned that I thought would would be interesting and worth describing. Um, you talked about, of course, right off the bat. You know, you talk about breakfast. What is a typical breakfast? And you said goat's milk, of course, and then something that, and I'm going to say it wrong. Uh, and you described to me what it is, Crasso. Oh, Krasopsihia. <laughs> you really did read the book. <laughs> that is um, the unlikely combination of bread dipped in red wine. <laughs> that, it appealed to me. <laughs> but again, you have to take that in context. I mean, this is not something that people probably, you know, do. Maybe old timers still do it, but... Um, it's it, it, this. We're talking about a generation or generations of people who really needed uh, the energy to walk and to work in fields and to harvest olives in, in cold, rainy weather, and you know to go fishing and to climb up and down mountains. So having you know bread and wine is actually quite nutritious. Yeah. Uh, and then, if, and of course, you got old bread. It's dry. Right, stale. Exactly. You got to soften it up, right? You got to dip it in something. Oh, that's great. I love it. Um, and the teas, we talked about a lot of tisanes, a lot of teas, a lot of, you know, herbal concoctions. The herbal yeah. concoctions are, are great. I mean, we uh, when I'm on the island in the summers and in, in the spring especially, I, I'm always collecting, like, I'm always collecting wild fennel, oregano goes without say, um, all sorts of mint varieties, including penny, including penny, penny royal. royal. I noticed that, yeah. Uh, and sage, sage, sage is interesting. Yeah. I, that um, totally different, you know. It's a different aromatic. species of sage. It's not the Italian, the salvia. Mm. It's a smaller leaf, but it's really aromatic. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and kumara, the um, 
the, the Arbutus berries, yeah. berries. Yeah, and I was thinking, that sounds familiar. And then I think, of course, that's Corbezzolo in uh, Italian. And oh. that's the strawberry. It's the same thing, the strawberry bush, the strawberry tree. It's, it is. It's called and a it's strawberry bush. Corbezzolo. Yeah. But, and it makes a very bitter honey. Yes, it yeah. does. Um, and, but they also make a liquor. They, make a a liquor? Dis- they distill the berries and make a liquor, yeah. The, so you can find the the um, the honey for that from bees that feed off the bear, off the I guess the blossoms. It's not the most... Carrying honey is amazing. Um, that particular honey is not... Although it's the locals consider it quite therapeutic, it's not the main honey that is produced on the island. Pine is the main honey. Um, heather, which is thick mm. as peanut butter. And uh, thyme honey are the three main Time, honeys. Right. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, no, and... and- People who aren't accustomed to even rosemary honey, you know, or a that I've never arbutus honey. Encountered. It is very bitter. I mean, it's something more to eat, perhaps with a cheese. You know, it's not. Hmm. It's very bitter. But I, but I was really interested. It's kum, it's called kuma, the kumara kumara kumara, um, and not a lot of sugar in their diet. Right or, or like processed or refined sugar. Right, not there wasn't a lot of sugar. Now okay, now we're yeah. talking today. We, yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> why those people are so old. Yeah, so we're talking generations ago. Yeah, yeah. honey, honey was and, the sweetener, and also um, something called petimezzi. That's which what is, I wanted to talk about. Petimezzi. It's yeah. a bo- it's basically boiled down grape juice. Uh, it's reduced so fresh molasses, grape yeah. must before it ferments into wine. And that is one of the world's oldest sweeteners, and it's used a lot. It's it's delicious. It's very, it's really rich in iron. You can almost. It's really really good. What well, you have a recipe for, um, the great molasses and chocolate cupcakes, which I, we, we're going to talk about that after we take a short break. I'm going to talk about a lot of specific recipes in here right after we take a short break. Okay, thank you. You are listening to Down to Earth by Eric Maltz. Today's program was brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Hosting After the Jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, 
I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Hi, I'm back speaking with Diane Kochilas, um, the author of Ikaria, Lessons on Food, Life, and Longevity from the Greek Island Where People Forget to Die. Uh, and interesting, I, I was saying when we went to break that just looking at the pictures of the food makes me hungry, not only talking about the recipes. And we were talking about specific recipes. Um, you already mentioned the importance of the wild greens and foraging for a lot of these greens, but also the importance, one thing we didn't talk about was the importance of beans and legumes in the diet. Um, so that is a big part of their uh, of their dishes, beans. And- that, that's a very big part of, of the local diet. Uh, even to this day, uh, things like giant beans and lentils, uh, uh, regular white beans, chickpeas, um, Yellow split pea. Uh, some some of those are very old pulses, and some of them are New World beans. Mm-hmm. All right, um, and of course fish. I mean, their fish has always been a, a major part of their diet. Living with um, you know on an island, right? Fish has always been very important in the diet. Uh, people fish on the island. There's the waters around Icaria are quite deep, so we don't get. Um, a lot of fish like sardines, and that comes from those come, that comes from other parts of n- nearby islands. But um, lots of, of bigger fish, and it, the fish is really when it's fresh, it's amazing. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, you did mention that there was some pollution that was cutting down on some of the fishing. Or, or I mean, I think that's a generic issue all over the it all is, over the Aegean. Indeed, yeah. Um, it's you know the Mediterranean is an enclosed sea, so. It's it's it is a big issue, and the, you know the fish fish stocks have been depleted tremendously in the last I guess twenty years from overfishing and pollution. Both, yep. I mean, it's a double whammy there. Um, there and and as far as grains go, you you mentioned that yes, of course there's wheat, and obviously we know from phyllo dough that you know they're going to have wheat. But you said that barley and rye uh, are right up there with with wheat consumption. Barley was traditionally a more uh, sustainable crop on the island because it requires less water. Mm. And also, I mean, Ikaria is very mountainous. So it's, it, there's very, there are very few places where you can have an open a, you know, field large enough to grow wheat. That was, that was just the way the island is, you know, the physical makeup of the island. Um, barley was something that people were able to grow in, in terraced gardens mm-hmm. And you see that you can still see that when you. Well, I mean, we have a garden like that. It's they're just steps basically carved into the side of a, a mountain, um, and it was just the you know the most efficient and ergonomic way to to grow vegetables. Um, so barley was the traditional grain. Wheat was something that was was used for more specialty breads, holiday breads, um, baking for you know tr- holiday baking that sort of thing. It was a little bit more uh, rare. In the diet. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about Trahana soup. You you entered a recipe that um, in the book that um, is an ancient recipe. 
and it's Trahana soup. What is Trahana? Trahana or Trahana. Trahana, okay. um, Is a a grain product that was essentially a way to to store milk. Hmm. It's a combination of either um, cracked wheat or bulgur wheat or flour. And either uh, goat's milk, in Icaria it's goat's milk, um, buttermilk, yogurt, or whole milk. There are different recipes for it from place to place around Greece. Um, Sometimes you find vegetarian versions, which are are made with vegetable pulp. But by and large, it's it's a dairy and and wheat wheat product that is cooked. The the milk and, and the grain are cooked together to get a very dense mass, which is then broken up into pieces, uh, I don't know, maybe about two, two, one and a half to two inches kind of in diameter. I mean, they're not perfectly round. You just break little pieces off and you dry those in the sun, usually at the end of the summer when it's very hot, uh, turning them over a couple, you know, f- over a few days. And then you break those up further and you press them through a, a sieve and you get something that looks like little tiny pebbles. So almost like a little couscous, like a couscous. It looks, it's bigger than couscous. The grains are bigger than couscous. Um, but it's very different. It's very, very hard. It's crunchy. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to eat it raw. I mean, uncooked. It's really delicious. It's like eating, imagine the, f- the flavor of, of Greek yogurt in a cracker. In a crunch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's really, it's really good. Traditionally, it was made into a soup, and it was to- it's total poor man's food. I mean, it's something that, and it's also the world's first uh, instant, you know, fast food. Huh. Uh, it takes about ten minutes to cook. Uh, it's very hearty. It's delicious. It's very versatile. We make it. You can put vegetables in there: tomatoes, mushrooms, uh, greens. So the base of a stew. Of anything you want to add? Diana? You can use it. In, it can. It makes a dense. It's. It's usually a one to six or one to eight ratio of, of trahana to, to water or stock. And depending how dense you want it, you can make a soup or you can make it with chunks of vegetables into like a really, almost like a porridge. Imagine a really thick porridge mm-hmm. with beautiful Greek vegetables and delicious olive oil. Wow, wonderful. Um, which brings to mind another staple of, of well, the Greek um, cuisine, soufika. Oh, sufiko. <laughs> Tell me about that. Sufiko is a, the local vegetable dish. It's, uh, there's a summer version and a winter version. The summer version is, actually, we do that at Molivos, too. Um, we do a, a somewhat more Manhattan gentrified version of, <laughs> of the sufiko. It's layered um, potatoes, onions, zucchini, uh, eggplant, uh, simple tomato sauce and oregano, and, of course, olive oil. And the way it's done traditionally is you uh, gently pan fry each of those vegetables individually, and then you put them all together in a big casserole with even more olive oil, and cook them, you know, for maybe another hour or so until they're completely soft and totally married to one another in Mm. that pot. Mm. Um, And then you add a little bit more olive oil on top before you serve it, and you have really good bread. Uh, it's it's really all you delicious. Need, you yeah. know, it's very else. sweet. Yeah. The vegetables have cooked slowly and have caramelized, and it's 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 total comfort food. You know, um, it's and it sounds delicious. It sounds like 
It sounds like a hearty meal for I mean, a cold winter day, too. It's I mean, like so. ratatouille. It's, yeah, I was going to say, Roger, yeah. you said separately. They're all cooked separately and then put together. Yeah. So like ratatouille, except Let, that then they're all nicely mushed together with it, They're great. And baked and, there's, there's a winter version that's made with pumpkin. Hmm. And uh, that's also quite delicious. Right, a lot of pumpkin. I, I was surprised. There's a lot of uh, squash. A lot of yeah, pumpkin a lot squash of pumpkin. in the in uh, the diet. In fact, you you have a recipe for longevity pie. I do. That's right. we have that at Molivos, the and, longevity and that's pie. What, what, and so, what is in that? That is uh, grated pumpkin. Um, you can use calabaza squash or butternut squash. Um, a whole variety of of greens and herbs, basically whatever you can find in season. So in New York, for example, um, we would use things like spinach and chard and sorrel and maybe fennel bulb because wild fennel is almost impossible to find. Right. Uh, dill, parsley, mint, um, ch- chervil, if you can, mm-hmm. you can get that at certain times of the year. Um, Anikaria, there would be of different varieties of mint that also go into that pie, uh, fresh oregano, fresh marjoram, um, really anything, any sweet green and, and herb, um, onions, leeks, uh, um, scallions or spring onions, a little bit of pumpkin or any of the other red squashes, a little bit of carrot if you, can't, if you don't have squash. So all encased in a dough or just the dough on top? No, no, no. It's a, it's a savory pie. So it's a pie, it's, the pie all around. Right? Yeah, it's, uh, there's a picture of it on the cover of my That's book. It. At Molivos, we do them. On Icaria, there are two versions. You could do it as a, of a whole pie or you can do them as individual little pies. They almost look like spring right. rolls mm. or empanadas. They mm-hmm. look more like empanadas, empanadas than spring right. rolls. Yeah. And we do that version at, at Molivos, and uh, people love them. They're great. I mean, they just exude healthy, healthiness. So I'm seeing kind of a, or listening, hearing a, a, a kind of a trend in what in, in the whole food, in the diet, and it's all these greens cooked together and very satisfying, having very humble ingredients, but but by the time they're cooked together, very satisfying I, dishes. That's, I think that's a very key point because this is not, this food is not, the food of abstention. It is delicious. It's enjoyable. People, it's, you know, user-friendly. It's easy. Well, and you talk about copious amounts of olive oil. And copious <laughs> amounts of olive oil. But it's interesting because um, you did mention, too, that the the type of olive oil that is most common or was most common, I don't know what now, but is from not the usual olive that... Um, that a lot of the olive oil, you know, that we think of is made from, but the Hondelia oil. It's a bigger olive. olive. A big olive. Um, Not the, we usually think of the smaller ones that are pressed and, and have that, you know, very fruity flavor. So the, what's the flavor of this? It's, it's not, um, it's a little bit more, I don't know, the, the main olive variety in Greece is called the Carnaki. It's a very tiny olive, almost like a Picholin, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit bigger than a Picholin. Um, and that produces, that's actually very, um, uh, you get a lot of olive oil uh, from that particular variety. Mm-hmm. The hondra elia, which means fat olive, is used both as a table olive and a pressing olive, an mm. oil olive. Um, the flavor is maybe a little bit more rustic. Um, the, you know, it's, it's extra virgin. It, a lot of the flavor actually has to, also has to do with what happens after you pick the olives, how soon you press them, um, at what temperature, if they're, you know, you should be cold pressing, obviously. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the olive oil is, I mean, it's delicious. It's just a little bit, uh, it doesn't, it's not quite as peppery 
say, as the olive oil produced from the, the smaller, right. Greek, no, better known Greek variety. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And uh, do most everyone have, they, they have olive trees in the, on their property? I mean, there are a lot of olive groves. I'm sorry? Are, a lot of people have olive trees Everyone on their property. Has Everyone trees. has <laughs> olive trees. And one thing I found interesting, you said that uh, even though a lot of people have almond trees, almonds aren't used in savory cooking. Not very much. There's a very old dish for uh, the, uh, the green almond mm. before it before the the, the actual nut forms, mm-hmm. and it, they're absolutely delicious. You can stew them. They're they're soft. They have a beautiful grassy flavor. We mm. have an almond tree in our garden, and I've I've cooked them when they're unripe. Um, they're they're really good. Um, and in fact, we had a, uh, an intern a few years ago who was a, sh- a young cook at um, um, the French Laundry, and she told us that Thomas Keller was also using green almonds in a lettuce <laughs> salad. So I thought, okay, well, yeah, you're on to something. There's then, nothing right? new under the sun, right? <laughs> right but this right. is really old food. Right. Um, almonds are used mainly in sweets in, mm-hmm. in the cooking. Yeah, well, that's well. As they should be. you got to save them for something special, right? <laughs> and one, uh, one thing I just love because I've toyed around with it a little bit, and the, that's seawater as a condiment. I mean, there you have, well, when it was, when, you know, we're talking about the clean seawater, you know, and it was so commonly used as a, as a condiment, right? Yeah, we still do that if we're You're making a fish soup. Good. We'll, we'll <laughs> go to, a, you know, find a part of the island that's not where the hotels are basically yeah. well, and people you know think i'm crazy sometimes when i say but they say well you just need a little bit it's salt yeah, i mean I it's you put too much salt want. in the water yeah. when you cook your pasta i said no it should taste like the sea you know so yeah take a pot of seawater and cook your pasta and you'll be just fine so it made perfect sense to me when i read about it and i loved it i love the fact that it's there use it you know and, yeah, you know, that's it. It's there. Use it. That's yeah. basically it. Yeah, now, you say you give these cooking classes, um, and, and obviously mostly Americans, are, they're not people who live on the island. They're not going to no, come and take no, classes no, no. from you. You learn from them, right? I, so, would, I, would right. Be taking, I should be taking classes from them. Exactly. Right. Um, and when do you give the classes? In the summers. Uh, we're doing three sessions in, July, in June and July, and one at the end, very end of August, which is a little bit different. It's, it's more wellness-oriented, so there'll be... I'm going to do something slightly different, more like a template of food that I hope will empower people to create their own Greek-style healthy, um, mainly vegetarian dishes. And they can find out uh, on your website, diannecochillas.com. Okay, we will post that too. And if you take that class, maybe you'll live to be 100. You never know, right? You're more than welcome. If it works for those people on the island, then certainly it might work for you. Well, thank you so much thank for, you so for much. making this stop on your whirlwind tour and, and sharing all this information about this fabulous island and the fabulous food. And the book has wonderful recipes in it. Again, Ikaria, The Island Where People Forget to Die by Diane Cochillis. Thank Thanks you very again. much. Thank you. And you've been listening to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. 
Thanks for listening.